Welcome back in everyone to a fantastic new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We've got a fantastic show to share with you today. And to do so, we are joined by the creator and performer, Deborah Ballardini. She's here to talk to us about her show, Backlash to Brazilian Happiness. It's playing now through November 20th at 7 p.m. at The Tank, and you can get your tickets and more information in two places, either at thetanknyc.org or at group.br.com. This is another fantastic show that's coming to us from The Tank, and we are so excited to be sharing this great, great show that's inspired a little bit by Greek mythology and other elements. And I'm just doing the worst job of explaining the show. So let's go ahead and bring on the expert on it, the creator and performer, Deborah Ballardini. Deborah, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Oh, thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you're in the middle of a chaotic move. You're in the middle of all the craziness of rehearsal added on to that. And now you're here with us to talk to us about your great show, which I'm so excited to learn more about, Backlash to Brazilian Happiness. Could we start by having you tell us a little bit about what this show is about? Well, bottom line, the show is about my history with sexual abuse. That's the, the bottom line of the whole thing. We, I debated for many, 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 many years about, you know, should I tell this story? Should I not tell this story? Because there are other people involved, of course, there are family members, there are, you know, things like that. And I was trying to understand how I was going to put things together. And that's where Medea came into play, <laughs> you know, a little bit of mythology, but not only like just, you know, out of thin air, but because I work with a company in Paris, Pan Theater Company as well. It's a sister company to my company here in the United States. And we talk a lot about Greek mythology, you know, it's all based in Greek mythology. And, and I kept thinking like, you know, what, what character, what, so what mythological creature, you know, could I bring to play with me and to be with me on stage? And that's how Medea came about. So it has an, an inspiration on Medea, right? But it does not tell the story of Medea or anything like that. It's uh, the first time I presented the show to, to our artistic director at the company. She goes, wait a minute, they're like two stories going at the same time. I said, yes, two stories at the same time. They overlap and then they come, you know, they become parallel and then you overlap again. And, 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 and then that's how it goes. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but <laughs> no, that that's great. That sounds incredible, yeah. though. It it is basically it's an autobiography, you know, of a, a few things that happened to me in this past I don't know 28 years that I've been in New York. Not so. What inspired you to 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 tell the story, to tell it, to put the story, I guess, on stage? So many many years ago, I think about 16 years ago, I went to Paris. I do work with a, you know, this uh, sister company. And I went to Paris to do this amazing work. I was at La Mama actually here first, and that's how I met my director. And I come in and I see this weird person, you know, not weird in the sense of like, oh, his, his physicality, but like this 
this whole atmosphere of doing theater that was so amazing. And it was like three days of workshop. And then I come, I come home and my husband goes, at that time was my fiance. He goes, so how was the workshop? I said, oh, the workshop was okay. It was good. He's like, well, what did you learn? I said, I have no idea what I learned. It was just like this, you know, mythology and then voice texture and movement and choreography and choreography in the sense of, of Greek chorus, you know, and I was like, I got to go to Paris. So I go to Paris and I spent two months in Paris just doing a, a, a full training with them, with Penn Theater. And at the end of the training, every, you know, we passed through like thousands of monologues, singing, voice, this and that, and movement. It's very avant-garde. It's, a, you know, and at the end of the whole thing, they give like, you know, little advices, little things. And my director comes to me at that time as my, my master, still my master. And he goes, I want to see the backlash of the Brazilian happiness. And that stayed with me for 16 years. <laughs> Because I was like, what is the backlash of Brazilian happiness? The backlash to Brazilian happiness, the backlash. And I kept thinking about, you know, because we Brazilians are like, you know, happy all the time. The stereotypical thing is carnival, soccer, we are super friendly, you know. It's a cultural thing as well, of course. And, and I was like, what is the backlash to all of this, right? And then I start thinking about my story you know, the, the sad stories that nobody talks about, about Brazil, about individuals, basically. So I just started thinking about that. About, I would say 2010, I think I did like a 10 minute presentation of a song and the beginning of what I wanted to show. And it was great. It was, it was like a, a little sort of like a salon we were having in New York because I used to own an event space and the director was here and I said this is backlash and he's like oh I'm starting to see the backlash <laughs> but still I didn't know what it, what, what, what it was right so I continued to work with them I used to go to Chile spend one month with them come back and working with my company his wife actually directed a show for my company inside. It was a show based on Clarice Lispector's work. And it was an immersive piece in Rennishti Park called Inside the Wild Heart. So she directed us, you know, in this massive immersive thing that we decided to do. Because we have to do big, big, of course. We have to move and do a show at the same time. That's what we need to do. So, <laughs> so basically... Then pandemic came, right? Pandemic came, but still it was, it was in my mind. And in June, I think it was this past June, July, beginning of July, end of June, beginning of July, I decided to go to the Myth and Theater Festival, which is a festival that Penn Theater has every year at the Roy Hart Center in the south of France. And I went there for like 10 days and I said, I'm going to show, I'm going to start writing and putting this on paper, you know, because I couldn't find a text. That's another thing. I couldn't find a text. And in January, this past January, a Brazilian guy sent me a text 
and it reminded me of Medea throughout, you know. It's another play, it's another thing. And immediately I sent a message to him. I said, listen, I wanna use your play as a base for my show. I'm not gonna do your play. I'm going to use your words, use your monologues because they fit so amazingly well into what I'm trying to do. And then I went to Paris and I, uh, to the South of France, got in there, stayed for 10 days was not able to get out and do anything. It was like, I maybe I work like a half an hour because it's a festival, but I work a half an hour with the director and I was so confused. I was like, oh my God, what is this going to be? So finally he says to me, listen, I usually don't ask for a script. I like to do device theater. We, we find it together. And he does something that we call folie a deux, which is like madness together. <laughs> and and he said, but I, I want a script from you. I want a script by, you know, by end of July, I want something. So in one month, I took everything and I put it, everything, I put all my ideas together in one freaking script. It was like, I don't know, 20, 30 pages. And I sent it to him and he was like, oh my God, this is massive. When do you have to go up? I said, well, I got a grant and I have to put this in November and it's gonna happen. <laughs> so the, I think that the text that Guilherme Zelig from Brazil sent it to me gave me that push of his, you know, that li little piece of inspiration that was missing in the words, in what to say actually in words. I was able to say it in physicality and in music, but I was not able to like, what are the words that want to come out of my mouth, you know? Because then it's just another piece about abuse. And I, I didn't want to fall into that, you know, it was just another piece about, you know, which I mean, it's, you have to talk about these things, but at the same time, you, you, you want to have some kind of psychology behind, you know, something that, that allows also the audience to create with you as you are doing. Right, that is not just a, a passive sitting down. I'm going to sit down and just watch it. As a matter of fact, I have I have a line in the show that says I'm not here to entertain. That's a, a, a very big thing for me. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to mirror the diagonals of your life's rectangle certitudes. So whatever you're certain of, just twist it around, please and use me as a mirror to see yourself. So I think that the text from Guilherme gave me that, that whole backlash word, you know, back there 16 years ago, saying, what is the backlash to this, all this happiness you have all the time? You know, you're, you're always smiling. What is it? What is underneath? So all that gave me the inspiration. And then there's a, a certain amount of strength you have to have, you know, I never told this story to anybody, anybody, few very close friends, you know, here and there. And then when it, I had first rehearsal sharing the actual monologue where I tell exactly what happened, it was very, very hard, very, very, at the same time that it, it, it cleanses you and it, you know, it's cathartic and it comes out, it's great, but it leaves you with, it's an exposure, it's a vulnerability that it, it's vulnerable. I, I don't know what else to, how, how else to put it.
That's amazing. Wow. What a, what a fascinating journey, inspiration and journey there. That's incredible. So as we are rolling into opening mm -hmm. with everything here at the tank, what has it been like developing this iteration of the show? Oh my God. <laughs> well, I went through, I think 11 drafts of script and we work in a very unusual way, you know, the light designer and the, and the sound designer, they go like, send us the script. And then they're like, but this is just the text. I said, this is your script. Because when we get there, you're going to create with us. <laughs> so, so you're going to add into it, right? You, you are also creators in this whole thing. So it's, it's very co collaborative, but it's been, it feels like very crooked, you know, like I could say we've been rehearsing for eight weeks, but actually not. I met with the director for 10 days. We had 10 rehearsals together. And then the rest of it, I'm either with my artistic director, with Andressa Furlati, which is my business partner as well. And she's been absolutely incredible because she has an amazing sense of dramaturgy. And she knows how to put things together, you know, and help me with that to, to make sense for whoever is watching. So she's been an amazing help uh, as far as that and many other, you know, the support and all in the beginning of rehearsals, I didn't want anybody around. I just want me, you know, myself and her. Then I brought in, of course, the director came and we started working and I think that I opened up more people when the sound design came and the light designer came and then yesterday when we had dress rehearsal i had one friend that came so it was a very important person for me that has been in my journey you know in paris we've been to paris many times together and he knows the work and he was able to, it was like it was good to share because i knew he was going to say, you know, if, if he didn't like something or if he is that that one person you bring that you like, I, I trust this person is going to tell me <laughs> what's going on right from the outside. Of course, I trust my director and I trust Dressa as well, like with my life. So the process feels crooked. It feels like I'm by myself rehearsing and then, you know, I would spend eight hours in the studio by myself, then Andressa would come and then she was traveling, then she would come back and then the director came. So it was like all scattered like that. But I'll tell you something, Andrew. Every, every time, everything that happened in this journey, right? Let's say from June when I was in the south of France until now, everything makes total sense. There's not one thing that I would say, oh, this was kind of weird, like it didn't feel right everything fell into place and it's falling into place you know i think that was one day that i had a, a, a i was stuck and i i had to get out of the rehearsal room you know <laughs> and i said I, I have to stop this it's really hard for me to go through and then i left i talked with my inner child <laughs> and came back <laughs> i said you cannot throw any fits in here honey you have to go <laughs> But it, it's been crooked, but at, at the same time, a, a beautiful crooked experience. 
That's so lovely. I mean, it's it's a little heartbreaking that you've had to go through that as well, but it's so lovely as well. Now, with it being such a personal and, and I mean, tragic and traumatic story as well, is, what is the message or the thought that you're hoping the audiences take away from the show? Find yourself and you will find your voice. It's like going to a party, you know? You get to a party. You don't know anybody in that party. I usually ask, what is the first thing you do? You go to the bar and get a drink because you have to occupy your hands. And your hands are your brain. And then when you don't know what to do, you either sit in the couch or in a chair right, to position yourself. Then, or you just lean at the wall to get some support. And then you can start talking and sharing your point of view and having a voice in the party. When you, when you, I usually use that, uh, that analogy of the party because if you're dislocated in the party, you're not able to speak. You're not able to show, you know, to express yourself. So, that's something that Penn Theater, Enrique and Linda usually have, which is that, find yourself and you will find your voice. If you don't know your position in the world, you can't really have a point of view and you can't really, you gotta find that. That's lovely, that's a great message or thought, I love that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to backlash to Brazilian happiness? First and foremost, any, any person that had any kind of trauma, sexual abuse, or, or actually I should say any kind of traumatization because trauma and traumatization are two different things. First and foremost, those, because I hope to, to inspire people to be able to tell their stories. I'm also an integrative therapist and the power of, of, of your brain, right? When you discover those things, when you bring things to the conscious, to your conscious and you're like, oh, now I know what's happening. Now I can find a solution, right? So when you're able to tell a story, you bring clarity, right? You bring clarity. Of course, there is a big difference for me between therapy, you know, psychotherapy and theater, but you can't deny that you're bringing things to conscious. You can't deny that theater does that, you know? Art does that, any kind of art, any kind of expression will bring that kind of stuff. So once you have that, you are able to say, okay, now I'm inspired and I'm going to tell my story. So first and foremost, I would say people that, that need to feel like they, they are not alone, that they are not, they're not the only ones that went through something and that they can find some support, can find some, you know, some inspiration, some, something to look, to look, to look up for or to, to make them want to live. Because when you, when you are a victim of a traumatization, 
you just don't want to live right or you just create this superficial thing which is mostly my case you just create you just go well, no nothing is happening everything is fine everything is fine and it, actually everything is not fine so those stories need to be told they need to be <clears throat> exposed the vulnerability needs to be there to inspire other people second part of our interview i love to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit better pull the curtain back if you will and i want to start by asking you what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites i am like a mess <laughs> i'm a mess because so they asked me, like, what, what music do you hear? What sounds do you hear for the show? I was like, well, I hear this, you know, this ancient lyre music. It calls a polo's lyre. And it's this very mellow song. And then, but for this scene, I want the bard song. And it says, I don't give a f- <laughs> and and the, And it's this metal rock. <laughs> And it's like, okay, which one? It's like, because I just love it. Well, I love music. I love Brazilian music because it's from my country, of course. But, but not just because it's from my, my country, but I think that there are like so many flavors in Brazilian music, you know? I listen to everything, basically. I love rock and roll as well. You know, there's nothing like listening to The Doors sometimes and getting a little depressed. <laughs> I, the classicals, of course, you know, my favorite is Mozart. I absolutely love his vivacity. I don't know if there's a word like that in, in English, but it's alive, you know. Shows. It's a very interesting thing because I usually have a tendency to, to watch avant-garde stuff, you know, like that's, that's what I love to do. And that's, yeah, that's what I love to do. But so I'm, I'm like constantly at the BAM watching, you know, I don't know, Sankajuku and watching James Terrier because I love him. I love the work of Bob Wilson, Marina Abramovich. I freaking love it. You know, I love those, those, to me, they have a lot of, like I was saying before, a lot of psychology, a lot of things to, you know, that are so much, there's so much there in one image that I can make up my own story too. You know, I'm allowed to, to, to do that. I do like Broadway, certain things, not everything. I think that there are like many, many faces to Broadway, you know, there is the, the Broadway, Broadway, uh, you know, more traditional show and it's so beautiful and the production is amazing and all that. I enjoy that. Of course, it's a lot of fun. They're like the straight plays on Broadway that also can be amazing. So I think that my tendency is more into the avant-garde. It's more into to those kind of, there's nothing for me like sitting down and watching Pina Bausch, you know, 
you know, watching that kind of work for hours. It doesn't get me tired. Now that's a fabulous list though. I love that. I would love to know now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Oh my God, that's mm, my favorite part. You know, it's funny because like, sometimes I'm so tired. I'm going like, oh, I gotta go to the theater today. Or, oh, I have to, you know. <laughs> but because I feel like it's not something, it's not something that I chose to do. Now it's a choice, of course. And it's like, oh, let, you know, as an adult, of course. But when I was a child, I feel like it chose me in a certain way, you know? Over there feels good, just go. It's very, it, the instinct of like just being there, the intuition, that's where I need to be. And for a while I lost that. For a while I was like a little lost, you know? Is this really what I want? I started rationalizing too much. But the minute I have my essence, like my inner essence, my, you know, my, my intuition, I would say, the minute I have that playing the game instead of my rationalization of what, why am I doing theater, I start having fun, you know? So then when I remember that, I say, oh, yeah, that's what, I, I like this. Yeah, 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 this is great. I think that it's, to me, the, the, my favorite part is having that moment of, you know, we rehearse, we do this, we do that, and then there's the audience. And there's that exchange. There's that suspension when you, you there's a suspension, right? In, in, in being on stage and everybody is with you. It's frightening, vulnerable, of course, but at the same time, it's like, um, it's, it's an amazing exchange, you know? And sometimes I really love if somebody like coughs and, you know, or makes some kind of noise because I'm like, oh, they're here. They're, they're participating. That's great, you know? Um, or says something. It's an opportunity to even have more exchange not just like oh we're gonna watch her it's not about watching me guys it's about us <laughs> so i think that that's my favorite part is to actually be there with the audience most of the time well building on all of that we've come to my favorite question to ask guests and that is what is your favorite theater memory there are two and they're very different from each other in Brazil, the city that I come from in Curitiba, they used to have every Sunday morning, the biggest theater in like 3000 seat theater. They used to have opera every Sunday morning for free. Anybody that wanted to come. So when you work at this, this theater, and I, I did work at this theater later, you sign a contract, and part of your contract is you have to perform on Sunday mornings. It's called theater to the people or something like that. And I remember like waking up early and going with my, my father to see opera. But in this case, it was not my father taking me, it was me taking my father. <laughs> and, and I would look at his side and we were watching like, I don't know, Ada, Ada, Aida? right? I don't know how you say in English, but Aida in, in Portuguese. 
and I would look at the side and my dad would be sleeping and I would be like, you know, mesmerized by the opera because I love opera. And I just be, you know, so I, I, I think those memories are so ingrained in me. And there's one other that it's part of the inspiration also for this piece is I remember the first time I saw a stage in my life, I was six years old and we lived in a very, very, uh, you know, small city like in Brazil. And my, my father traveled a lot, like, you know, we traveled a lot with him, like for his job. And in one of those little cities, I'm sitting down and I, oh my God, you're going to figure out how old I am, but it's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you know, we didn't have internet. We didn't have, we did have one of those, <clears throat> those TVs that had buttons, you know, and you didn't have too many channels. It was like one or two and they would not come every, every day. It was just like some time. And one morning I just pressed one button to see if the TV was working. And I see the image was very blurry, but I see a person going, walking into, you know, into a, a, an empty space. And it was a woman and she started moving and doing things. Until this day, I have no idea what I was watching, but that's my first memory of seeing a stage. Now I know it's a stage and a person was there performing something. And that's ingrained like the image of being in front of that TV and seeing theater for the first time. But the image in itself is a theater piece. You see what I mean? So it's not just the image on TV, but the image of me as a child watching an expression of another human being on an empty space. So to me, is that that's one of the theater memories that stays with me. That is so lovely. Oh, I love those. Thank you so much for sharing those. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. You did not show your age at all, especially to me. I mean, listen, I had one of those TVs as well. So okay. I am I I'm, I'm 52. I just turned 52 on Sunday. So. You listeners, she doesn't look at all 52. I I call lying, not a chance. <laughs> No, those were wonderful memories. Thank you so much for sharing those. Well, finally, if our listeners would like more information about Backlash to Brazilian Happiness or would like more information about you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? They can call me. We'll chit-chat. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my number. <laughs> five, five, five. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, the best, the best way to know what's going on is through my website, www.debraballardini.com. And that's Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A, Ballardini, B-A-L-A-R-D-I-N-I. Please don't double my letters, dot com. <laughs> or through my company, which is group.br.com. Those are like the two places we are all, you know, if you see the only Brazilian theater company in New York City, you will find us because we are the only Brazilian theater company. So <laughs> there's no other one in there. Or if you just put my name on Google, you'll find a way to to see what what's going on with me. Wonderful. 
Well, Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm so excited for the show and I just appreciate you taking the time. I love all the things you're doing right now to speak with me. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I was so nervous and now I am totally relaxed <laughs> and I'm going to remember this beautiful laugh and happiness you have. That's awesome. Oh. I'm going to carry to the show with me today. Thank you so much. <laughs> My guest today has been the creator and performer, Deborah Ballardini, whose show Backlash to Brazilian Happiness is playing now through November 20th at 7 p.m. at The Tank. Tickets and more information are available at thetanknyc.org or at group.br.com. This is a fantastic show, a brilliant, brilliant drama that you're not going to want to miss. And you can catch it now through November 20th at The Tank. It's Backlash to Brazilian Happiness. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones Unwrap your candies and keep talking about the theater. In the stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our brand new website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.